If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the ninth chapter, Matthew chapter 9, and we will be continuing in our series that we've been in now. It will be the fourth week uh, that we uh, have been here. I'll go ahead and tell you, uh, so this series will go to uh, September the 12th, and then after that, uh, we're going to begin a journey through the book of Acts. Uh, and so the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, so right now, as a church, uh, as Luke and I are talking through, we are planning to go at least through the first seven chapters. Uh, and so I'm saying that with an asterisk beside it because we may get there and say, we're going to keep going. And so, uh, but uh, we just thought with uh, how we've been, uh, start where our church has been, the things we've been looking at. We've been talking about being gospel-driven, Holy Spirit-led. Now we're talking about being lived-sent. Well, where do you go to in the Bible to see that actually take place, the book of Acts? And so it just kind of makes sense for us to go there uh, and just look how it played out in the life of the church, the early church. And so uh, speaking of Luke, uh, this morning he is at Centerville Baptist Church, and uh, so be lifting him up. I told you all just about every Sunday uh, he, I'll be saying pray for Luke, but that's a part of him being here is us sending him out. I know some of you know that uh, when I said Centerville, some of you know that their pastor has uh, just recently uh, retired, or, and so he is not going there in view of a call or anything like that. I've already had to kind of, uh, you know, bring people off the off the edge of the cliff already, and so, hey, he's just filling in. I've already asked him the question, what are you going to do when they ask you to be the interim or be the pastor? Kind of put him in that corner already, but anyway, uh, so be, be praying for him as he's there this week. Uh, I know Ryan mentioned this with the with a hurricane coming in, if there, uh, if any needs that pop up, do not hesitate to contact us as a staff. If you don't have our numbers, your small group leader, if you're not a, connected to a small group, uh, then you can go to our website and you can find our emails and you can at least email us. And so any needs that pop up, please let us know. Now, I've been asked a few times already, I mean, is this going to be a short and sweet one? Uh, and so let's get, let's dive in so that we can, so that we can get home. So uh, if you haven't been with us, we've been in a series called Sent, uh, where we have two main objectives. What we want to see uh, is, first of all, the mission of God. That's where week one was, how when we look to the Bible, we don't see it as just this random uh, stories that are just kind of compiled together to make this thing called the Bible, but we believe that the Bible is about the mission of God uh, to redeem man for his glory, but also because for his love for those he created. So when we, when we look at scriptures from the beginning to the end, it is one story, the story of redemption that finds its culmination or really its, its climactic point in the incarnation of Christ, and then it will be culminated in the return of Christ at the end of the ages. So that was the very first week. And then uh, Luke preached the second week of the series talking about how Christ was sent by the Father. We've been camping out in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Uh, so let's read these verses and then uh, we'll continue on. And so uh, Matthew 9, verse 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel uh, of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So week two, Luke talked about how Jesus went throughout all the cities because he knew that he was sent by the Father to preach good news 
uh, and, to, and to heal those who are afflicted. And that's what we talked about last week, how really the, the ministry of Jesus that we see here uh, in Galilee, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, I believe it is, yeah, and all the way to the end of Matthew 9, it cap- encapsulates kind of what his ministry was in the, in the area of Galilee. And of two main things, one, he preached the gospel and he healed every affliction, which was where we camped out last week. Let's get to a new reading, starting in verse 36, and we will see what we're going to talk about this morning. This morning, we're going to camp out in verse 36, but I'll read all the way through 38. It says, And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send our laborers into his harvest. Pray with me. Father, we come to you now uh, in the name of your son and the power of your spirit, God. And we ask for your spirit uh, to speak to us this morning, uh, that uh, the word, your written word will do as it is intended. And that will be to teach us, uh, correct us, reprove us in any way that we need to. So God, we pray that as we Look to this word that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So this morning, we're going to zoom in to verse 36. So we saw that he was sent uh, by the Father. We saw that his, when he was, what his ministry while he was sent was to preach the gospel uh, and to heal every affliction. So verse 36 now tells us that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this sermon this morning. I wish I didn't feel pressure of, from the Hurricane Ida to get out of here this morning because I'm really excited about this because one of the things that uh, one of the fears that I've had uh, when we start talking about the mission of God, the mission of God being about God's glory, what, what, I, what, what I'm afraid tends to happen is that we lose the heart of God in that. Uh, and so it's kind of like this. is like, how can I say this without saying buzzwords? Uh, the more reforms you get, the more, I used to always say, the more educated you got, the more, as in the more degrees you had to your name, the more cold you got and the more... Anyway, uh, I'm not going to go there, but uh, there's one camp that swings to one side that it's, it's all about God's glory, God's mission is God's glory, which is true. But then you swing far to the other side, and it's all about man and how, how much God loves man. And what happens is, is we oftentimes try to pin God, God's glory and God's sovereignty up against God's love for man, like they can't coexist. And what we see in this passage is beautiful, how ultimately that that Jesus felt, that Jesus had compassion, uh, that I'm excited this morning that we get to see the heart of God. It's one of the most beautiful realities of Christianity uh, that we'll cover this morning is that we see the heart of God, not just the mission of God and the, and the work of God through, through the Son when he's preaching the gospel. We get to see the heart of God, the compassion of the Father. And to be honest with you, that's what makes Christianity unique. More specifically, that makes makes the the God of Christianity unique is that he loves and that he's compassionate, that he cares for. So this morning, we get to see, and and maybe somebody just needs to hear this and I can end the sermon here, is that we, we have a God who, A, he sees, he sees you, but he also feels. He isn't a God that is just this 
far off impersonal force. But what we see in the incarnation of Christ is that we have a God who sees you. So this morning, I want, to, I want somebody to hear me when I say this, is that no matter where you find yourself, is that we, we have a God who sees you. He, he sees where you're at. He sees what you're walking through. He sees what's been keeping you up at night. He sees what's causing you to worry. He's seeing what's causing you to have anxiety. He, see, he sees that, but guess what? He also feels. He has compassion. He has moved deep within for those who are his. He is like a parent to a child. He is compassionate towards those who are his. And so what we will see uh, is that we have a God who sees and feels, and we see it in the incarnation of Christ. And so if you're taking notes, number one this morning is that Jesus was able to see beyond the natural. So we see Jesus here, he's, he's going through from village to village, city to city, he's preaching the gospel, he's healing the affliction, so we understand that he understands why he's saying it's to preach repentance, preach the kingdom, but also as he was going, people would come up to him and he would heal them. And then all of a sudden, verse 36 says, when he saw the crowds. And so I don't know if it's because of his vantage point, maybe he was on a hillside, he was actually able to see the crowds, but what we come to understand is that, that he was able to see past or beyond the natural. He was able to see beyond those who had infirmities. He was, he was able to see beyond sicknesses. He was able to see beyond those things. Ultimately, he saw, what he saw isn't just what his physical eyes could see. He was able to see with the heart of the Father. When he saw the crowds, he could actually see their hearts. As we continue to read verse 36, it will break down even more. But the first point is that Jesus was able to see beyond the natural. He had divine eyes and he saw the greater need of these people. Greater needs than a withered hand as we, if you read Matthew 8 and 9, these are the miracles that he performed. He saw needs that were greater than a withered hand or a bleeding body or a possessed mind or, or blind eyes or deaf ears. Now, he saw those things because we understand that he did because he healed those things. But when he saw the crowd, he saw beyond their physical elements and their situations they were walking through. He saw something greater. He saw the deepness and the pervasiveness of their sin. And specifically in this context, he saw their desperate plight for, of their spiritual blindness and lostness. When, he, when he, we talk about these words, the sheep without a shepherd, that is specifically speaking to the religion that they were walking to. We'll get to that in a minute. When he saw the crowds, when Jesus saw the crowds, he said it could have been because he was on a mountainside and he could see many people, but his physical eyes took in the image, but as his physical eyes took in the image of the crowd, he saw beyond what was natural. And he was moved. He was moved with compassion that Jesus had the ability, and he, this morning, he has the ability to look at every single one of our hearts. He sees you. You can walk in that door, in the foyer or side door, or back door, and put on a smile and act like everything's okay. And I can't necessarily see that. But Christ here, when he saw the crowds, he is not see, speaking of just the physical seeing, but seeing past, seeing beyond the natural. How was Jesus able to see beyond the natural? Taking notes first is because he was in communion with the Father. If you walk through the Gospels, you see Jesus' ministry. He's always in communion with his Father. 
He's always seeking to please his father, being about his father's business, spending time with his father. And because of that, he began to see with the father's heart. He began to, I, I can't say began, but he, he had the father's heart. It, it developed. And, that's, and so how, how could he see? How could he be in this mindset is that he had communion with the father. Number two is that he was led by the spirit. As Jesus was being led by the spirit, he began to see what the natural eye couldn't see. He could see the hearts of those. And ultimately, when we walk with the father, we develop his heart and his eyes. The spirit enables us to walk and develop. And we are walking with God in the power of the spirit. We'll be like Jesus who is spiritually sensitive. That we'll begin to look differently. As in, not the way that I dress, but the way that I look. I'll begin to see differently. And because Jesus, he knew he, he knew he was sent, he was always in communion with his Father, being led by the Spirit. So as he went, he was spiritually sensitive. He thought in, spiritual, in the spiritual realm. His mind wasn't carnal and things just thinking about what I can get and what I can do. His mind wasn't consumed on what somebody did to me or what somebody didn't do to me. His mind wasn't consumed on his, the, the stresses of this life. His mind was consumed on something greater. Is that every single person that he came in contact with, yes, they may have been, had a bleeding issue. They may have been lame or blind, but there's a deeper issue. He was able to think in a spiritual sense. Listen to me, church. And so many times we get so, actually say so many times, the majority of our life is being consumed with things that are going on that we are never walking in a spiritual mindset. We look at our brother and our sister is, do they, do they, are they in the same camp as me? Do they have the same politics as me? Do they have, have the, are they in my vaccine camp? Are they not in my vaccine camp? Do they wear masks? Do they not wear masks? What happens is we start camping people by how, what we have in common or what we don't have in common, what our preferences are, what our preferences are not. And the reality is that every human being is more than a mask or not a mask. Every human being we come in contact with has a greater need than any kind of physical sickness. And that's what Jesus was able to see. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, who's new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What Paul is writing here is now we regard no one according to the flesh. As in, I don't, I don't judge people based on what my flesh tells me I should judge people. I don't see people through the lens of what culture and society tells me to label people. No, we see people through the heart and the eyes of our Father. And every person is a person created in the image of of God, we all have the same issue, is that we are broken, sinful, dead in our sin, helpless and hopeless. So when Jesus is walking through these crowds, you imagine how busy he was? Like, obviously, there's, there's some that recorded here. There's probably, actually, John says there are many things that happened that weren't, where there are too many things to be recorded. We just have a few of them. 
I'm sure everywhere Jesus went, legitimately, people were being laid at his feet. People were saying, come see them, come see them. And could you imagine how easy it could have been just to begin to think about, yes, my fame could keep going. I could get all the popularity in the world if I just heal people. But what he saw was, yes, they may have these issues, but there's a greater issue. So number one, Jesus was able to see beyond the natural. Number two, not only did he see but Jesus was spiritually burdened. So as he, when he saw the crowds, verse 36, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw, he saw the crowds. And when he saw their condition and he saw their struggles, he saw their Their issues, he had compassion. Man, read the Gospels. I challenge you to read the Gospels. You'll see over and over again that Jesus felt, that Jesus' heart would be broken, that he wept with people, that he mourned, that he, he felt. Here it says he felt compassion. When you think about the word compassion, I know our mind automatically goes to heart. It wasn't that way to our heart for like compassion is in our heart. We feel it, if you will, for the, for the Hebrews and many other ancient uh, cultures and societies. When we think about the word compassion, uh, it actually could be translated. He, he felt compassion and, and really the origin of that is speaking from a place of his intestines or his bowels as in he felt it deep within his gut. It wasn't just, oh, poor or pitiful them. There was a there was a, a knot, if you will, in your in his stomach. It's speaking of emotions and the way that we speak about heart today here in, in, in their culture is coming from 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 like I said the bowels, if you will. The Hebrews express attitudes and emotions and more of a physiological symptoms, not in abstractions. Uh, let's just think about it. We know this, that intense emotions, right? All of us could agree with this. Intense emotions, anxiety, fear, pity, remorse can directly and often immediately affect what? Our stomach. That's just real life. You've been super stressed about something and your stomach starts hurting. And that's why it makes sense for them to associate this feeling, this emotion with something deep down within more than just an abstract thing, but a, a pain, if you will. For them, their heart was more than about the mind and thinking, where the bowels or the gut was the responder and the reactor. And here's something that's awesome about the the incarnation of Christ. And I think this is going to come up on the screen. He felt in his own being the symptoms of caring. That he saw the needs, but he cared so much that it actually physically affected this isn't like picturing Jesus like, man, I just, I just love these people. I have compassion. It's, it, it was compassion from the gut. It was that he was, he was really messed up over the condition of these people. And we see that in Scripture, he emotionally and physically, how he suffered with those who would come to him. You think about his buddy Lazarus. You think about in the garden. You think about on the cross when he looked at his mom and brother. And you think about the rejection of his people, how he would feel this. But here's what I'm really excited about preaching this sermon this morning. 
Because we know about the healing power, right? We know that he could, he could touch and heal. But I want to submit to you this morning is I think he had compassionate power. I think that there was, he was so compassionate that his compassion had power in these people's lives. And the reality is this had to be foreign to them. They had probably lost sight of a God of loving kindness. They had probably lost sight of, of a father who had called them and guided and protected and provided for and blessed. But when Jesus came into contact with people, not only did he heal them with his powerful touch, but they felt his compassion. They felt his acceptance. They felt his love. They felt his loving kindness towards them. Man, this is beautiful, church. Yes, we have seen the power in his miracles, but could you, do, could you imagine the power of his compassion towards these people? Go back to last week, Matthew chapter 8, the leper, who we talked about last week. It wasn't like Jesus touched him, but it was Jesus embraced him. Obviously, we know that Jesus could have waved a, a wand, if you will. He could have Harry Pottered it, if you will, and healed this man. But what does he choose to do? Embrace him. Yes, there's power in the healing, but there's power in that compassion of him embracing this leper. This man who had been isolated and marginalized, abandoned, and every time he would walk around where people around, he'd have to yell, unclean. Could you imagine the power of Jesus' compassion when he embraced him? Paul Brand writes this. He says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the eyes of the blind, the skin of the person with leprosy, and the legs of the cripple." I have sometimes wondered why Jesus so frequently touched the people he healed, many of whom must have been unattractive, obviously diseased, unsanitary, and smelly. With his power, he easily could have waved a magic wand, but he chose not to. Jesus' mission was not chiefly a crusade against disease, but rather a ministry to, in, to individual people, some of whom happened to have a disease. He wanted those people one by one to feel his love, warmth, and his full identification with them. Jesus knew he could not readily demonstrate love to a crowd, for love usually involved touching. He also says this, a stupefied concept that God's son, learning through his experiences on earth, before taking on a body, God had no personal experience with physical pain or the effect of rubbing against needy people or needy persons but God dwelt among us and touched us, and his time spent here allows him to more fully identify with our pain. What we see is that we have a Jesus he sees, and he feels compassion. So when he saw these people, he felt deep within who he was, and it moved him to not just heal them, but to embrace them. And this compassion, I don't want to spend a lot of time in this because Ida's on her way, but this compassion is what makes Christianity unique. Specifically, I said this already, the God of Christianity. When you look at other religions throughout the world, most of those gods are as far off being these rules and you got to work your way up to this God, you got to prove this way. 
It's this caste system, if you will, that if you're below the certain level, you don't talk to these people, you have nothing to do with these people in order for this God to accept you. When we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is not man working towards God, but God coming to man. Yes, for his glory, absolutely. But because he had compassion for man. Because he loved man that he created. The great Puritan writer, Thomas Watson, many of us have heard of him, and he said this, we may force our Lord to punish us, but we will never force him to love us. That Jesus saw, and he had compassion. Why was he burdened? He saw their condition. So he saw, and what he saw, it burdened him. Well, what did he see? Why, why did it cause him so, why did he have compassion? Why did it hurt his stomach, if you will? Is that he saw their condition. He, uh, Matthew records their condition as harassed and helpless. Harassed and helpless. He saw their, their need to be freed. This word harassed literally can be translated as flaying or a skinning. I know it's very nasty thinking, but that this harasses this picture of being flayed or, or, or being skinned. It's to be battered and bruised and mangled and, and ripped apart and worn out and exhausted. So he saw these people and he saw a people that were battered and bruised and broken and messed up. And it says they were harassed, but not only they were harassed, but they were helpless to literally means to be thrown down and left to die. So when he saw these crowds of people, he saw people that were torn up and thrown down. He saw people who, who they were just messed up. They were in darkness. And their condition was because of sin. Yeah, there were physical elements that, that were going on, but because of sin, these people had a great and horrible condition that they were Lost, and but only that he says they were harassed and helpless, but also they were like sheep without a shepherd. The second thing that he that caused them to be burdened is that he saw that religion wasn't working. This is in direct opposition to those who claim to be their shepherd. The scribes and the Pharisees, those who religious leaders of the land. He says, she without a shepherd are literally saying they have no leadership. They're not being led. The scribes and Pharisees claim to be their shepherds, but they offer no spiritual pastures or food or drink. They didn't bind the wounds of the people. They spiritually brutalized them. They were unloving and uncaring. Jesus actually said that they constantly added burdens to them, but never lifted them up. They tied heavy loads and placed them on their shoulders, but wouldn't lift a finger to help them. And the people were tired. Now imagine the weight of a couple chapters later in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, when Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
That's the context. He, he saw his people. They were harassed and they were helpless. They were torn up and thrown out. And a lot of times they're the hands of the religious leaders. There's power and his compassion here. Number three, I'm going to move forward. Hey, I'm going to be done maybe before 11. Let's do this, y'all. Number three, spiritual work. That's another reason I'm reading my notes, because if I take my eyes off these things, I ain't going to tell where I'm going to end up. Uh, And so number three, spiritual work done without spiritual burden does not impact or last. What we see about Christ is, last week we looked at this twofold, he preached the gospel, he preached repentance, and he healed. But what we see here is that he met spiritual needs, but he also had feeling behind that. He had a heart behind that. He had compassion behind that. That doesn't need any explaining. So number four, lastly, questions for us to ponder this morning. First one is, do you notice anyone else? That's a tough one for us, for us to read, right? Do, do you notice anyone else other than you? That's a tough one for me to ask myself. What's our life consisted of? When, we're, when the things that we're seeing, are we seeing anything else other than what my life is made up for and what, my, what I'm doing with my days and what my needs are and what my struggles are, the hardships that I'm walking through? Do we see anyone else? As a church, we're called to be followers of Christ. Do we see anyone else? Well, how did Jesus see? We talked about this already. Well, how, how was he able? Obviously, he was the son of God, but in his humanity, how was he able to see? Because he communed with his father. Seeing is directly related to communion. Why? Because in communing with the father, we begin to develop the father's heart. First John writes to those who say they have fellowship with the Father, but do not love are liars. Why? Because God is love. If we're communion with the Father, or communing with the Father, then we'll begin to see those around us. For walking by the Spirit, as Jesus did, we'll begin to see those around us. Not as inconveniences, not as frustrations. Actually, it can be both. It can be, I'm frustrated as I'll get out with this person, but I regard no one according to the flesh anymore, as Paul would say. Anybody ever been there before? I know that I'm supposed to see you different. It's really hard to right now. We can be honest, right? That's why it's important for us to walk by the Spirit. (laughs) Absolutely. Do you see their condition? Those who you're at work with, those who are in your classroom, those in your family, do you see them, but do you see their condition? Third, are you burdened for them? Do you feel it? This is where I have to confess. I remember being 17, 18 years old and really dealing with the call to ministry and what that even looks like. 
you may not believe it. Actually, if you know me, then it would you know it'd be true. I don't I don't really talk a whole lot. I just kind of kind of hang out, if you will. Super shy kid growing up, played sports, but I wasn't the the loud person, and I struggled big time with the idea of standing on a stage and opening my mouth in front of people for five minutes, much less. I have to do good to get down in 40 minutes now. But I remember, and I, this is confession. This isn't me saying, look at me. This, what I remember is what I couldn't get past was that there were people that needed to hear the gospel. I was moved with a couple things. The reality of eternity, number one, and the condition of the human heart. Those two things are very real. Eternity is real, and the condition of the human heart is very real. I would ask, when we see people, are we moved with compassion anymore? Are we broken over lostness? When is the last time we have, uh, as a church, have boldly prayed for, for the lost to come to know the Lord? When was the last time I personally have prayed for my lost family members? When was the last time have we done that? Jesus saw and he felt. Why? Because he knew their condition. And the last question to ponder is what is God calling you to do? Who is God calling you to see, to reach, to share with? How, how can we walk in this? I believe it's by communing with the Father and being led by the Spirit. Back to 2 Corinthians 5, we read, I have regard no one according to the flesh anymore. Let me pick up back in verse 18. It says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us himself. And what did he do? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, representatives, the highest-ranking diplomat in a foreign country, if you will, as in he's there, we're here. We speak on his behalf. We love on his behalf. We share on his behalf. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this morning, what I want us to see is is progressing, and I promise I'm done. I'll say that about four more times. I'm wrapping up. I'm landing a plane. Just don't know how high off the ground I am right now, but anyway. We see, right? We see God's mission. We see him at work. We see Jesus' mission. And I hope that today that we, we see his compassion. 
and that we learn to see needs. We learn to learn to see struggles. We learn to see people for more than just flesh and bone. So we're still in the scene. Next week, we'll move to the join side of this series. I want to end with this quote. That's my fourth quote today, y'all. I'm really getting sophisticated up in here. G. Campbell Morgan wrote this. There is no reason in man that God should save. The need is born of his own compassion. No No man has any claim upon God. Why then should man be cared for? Why should they not become the prey of the ravening wolf, having wandered from the fold? It has been said that the great work of redemption was the outcome of a passion for the righteousness and holiness of God, that Jesus must come and teach and live and suffer and die because God is righteous and holy. I do not, uh, sorry, I do not so read this story. God could have met every demand of his righteousness and holiness by handing men over to the doom they had brought upon themselves. But deepest in the being of God, holding in its great uh, energizing might, both holiness and righteousness is love and compassion. God said, according to Hosea, how shall I give up, give thee up, Ephraim? It is out of love which inspired the the well of the divine heart, that salvation has been provided. What we see this morning is that, that we have a God who sees and a God who feels. And when Jesus looked upon off that mountainside and saw the crowds and he was filled with compassion, he had to begin to have a stomach ache, if you will, the reality is if the Spirit, we would ask the Spirit to open our eyes, we would see the same in our communities, in our schools, in our families, in our workplaces. I pray that he gives us eyes to see those needs and he gives us power to meet them. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you're a God who sees but also a God who feels. <clears throat> God, I thank you that we thank you for your glory, your sovereignty. God, we thank you for your love and your compassion. And I'm thankful we don't have to pin those against one another. God, teach us your heart. Allow us to abide in Christ, to commune with you and walk by the Spirit so that we too can see needs of those around us. God, a prayer that I've heard prayed a million times, God, begin to break our heart for what breaks yours. And may it hurt us so bad deep within that we have, we have to do something. We have to share, we have to invite, we have to love, we have to hug, we have to do something because of the compassion that's deep within. We love you. We pray for your safety, for safety in this storm. God, I pray if, if and when things do get bad, God, that you will empower us as a body to, to serve one another. 
but also serve our neighbors in any way that we can. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can stand.